Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Ready to go right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hope things are firing off well for you. Let me just get myself together on a Thursday. One of those mornings that just doesn't go to plan, but hey, you know what? You, uh, you make it better as you go. We've got a good show for you today. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now will join us in just a couple of minutes. He also writes at the New York Times. You might know that. He'll uh, talk to us about Americans playing abroad this season as most of the European campaigns get underway. I think we'll focus on some of those big names. There's a, a potential move in the offing for an American international. We'll, we'll get into that as well, perhaps, with Mr. Sharetta. Uh, we've got uh, some headlines to go over here in a couple of minutes, and uh, it's a Thursday with a soccer match tonight, which is odd. We don't usually get the Thursday night game, but NYC FC hosting DC United tonight on a Thursday, so that should be fun. We had soccer last night. It's where we start with the news. U.S. Open Cup semifinals, the Philadelphia Union got a second-half goal from Sebastian Latou to advance to their second consecutive final, it was Sebastian Latou's 15th goal in U.S. Open Cup competition, which is a modern record. I think we keep that from, what, 96 when the when MLS entered into the competition. It's generally considered to be modern. Uh, so Sebastian Latou with the goal that lifts the Union over the fire and propels them into an Open Cup that game. That final will once again be in Philadelphia. That's because Sporting Kansas City beat Real Salt Lake 3-1 at Sporting Park last night. Sonny Mustavar, Benny Failhaber, and Christian Nemeth all scored for Sporting. They sort of manhandled RSL in the second half, took control, and move on to a final uh, where they will take on the Union. I believe that game is set for September 30th, I'll double check on that, uh, just to, to, don't have that detail in front of me, but I believe that's when the uh, final date is uh, is set. Costa Rica head coach Paulo Wanchope has resigned his post as Tico's manager after that incident at the stadium, the U23's Olympic qualifying match between uh, Panama and Costa Rica. Wanchope uh, was upset about the refereeing, got involved in a scuffle as he attempted to go through a gate. And now apparently it has cost him his job. He's uh, he's decided to quote-unquote step aside. I wonder how much pressure was placed on Wenchope to force him out. Uh, but this is the second high-profile violent incident involving a CONCACAF head coach in about a month. And uh, Miguel Herrera lost his job. And now Paulo Wenchope goes uh, as well. Who's next? Can we get a th- can we get a three? Can we get a triumvirate? Can we get uh, a triple? No, probably not. The Seattle Sounders have completed their deal to sign Panamanian defender Roman Torres. He was last with Millonarios in Colombia, 29 years old. Certainly bolsters the, the Seattle defense. They've had issues there at the back. He steps right in. We'll see exactly what this means for the Sounders moving forward. Of course, they are just absolutely free-falling right now in MLS play. I believe they've lost eight of their last nine matches as they head into the weekend. CONCACAF women's soccer qualifying for the world, for the Olympics, excuse me, in Rio next year will take place in Texas between Dallas and Houston. That's a February tournament, February 10th through 21st in the Dallas area and in Houston. The eight teams involved, including, include the United States, Mexico, Canada, uh, include those three teams and plus, uh, obviously five more. The games will be held at BBVA Compass Stadium. Uh, Toyota Stadium uh, outside of Dallas, where the uh, where FC Dallas play. Top two finishers earn spots in the Olympic tournament in 2016. The NASL has released a statement. If you remember, we may have, uh, I don't know if we, we talk, touched on this during the web show or not, but certainly a lot of chatter around American soccer in light of comments made by Bill Peterson, commissioner of the NASL, that they were looking to partner perhaps with MPSL moving forward. Uh, in a bid to find a way to make ProRail work in the United States, then the commissioner, sorry, the chairman of the board of the MPSL, Joe Barone, had his own interview in the Telegraph over in England in which he said they will, uh, he will look to speak directly 
to Bill Peterson and work on specifics, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse me. Uh, NASL has, uh, again, issued a statement that says, it's important to discuss the concept as part of the quickly changing soccer landscape in North America, and it's vital that we continue to contemplate what's best for the growth of our professional game. We have not, however, engaged in discussions with any parties up to this point. It's an interesting statement in light of the fact that Baroni himself said he has had discussions with Bill Peterson. Now, maybe those were, quote-unquote, off the record. Maybe they were unofficial. Maybe they didn't involve the necessary uh, behind-the-scenes um, uh, powers that would help make a decision on the NASL part. But uh, certainly interesting to see NASL sort of uh, back away from some of the, the rhetoric that's been coming out in the last couple of days. I alluded to this a little while ago, but there is a potential bid, a uh, potential move in the offing for U.S. international Tim Ream. He's, of course, at Bolton. Both QPR and Fulham are chasing Tim Ream at this point. I had a report this morning that said QPR had the deal done, and it was just a matter of personal terms. But latest reports out of ESPN FC say that Fulham is looking to match QPR's bid and could very well swoop. Is that what the word is, Trevor? Isn't it swoop? That's what they, what they always go with. They talk about these transfer deal, deals. Um, obviously, the window is not closed for another couple of weeks. In England, I'm not sure if the championship is on a different schedule or not. I don't believe so. Uh, but uh, a, a t- potential move for Tim Ream coming. We'll ask our friend Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now and the New York Times what that might mean for Tim Ream. Of course, he was in the Gold Cup squad, did get some playing time, that was after being out of the team for for quite some time under Jurgen Klinsmann. As he worked his his way back into Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, good graces, and what does uh, what kind of playing time might he get if he joins up with uh, the Cottagers or the or the or Rangers? Excuse me. There we go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will grab Mr. Sharetta from American Soccer now in the New York Times, and we'll talk to him. Not just about Tim Ream, but about players across the continent. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd, you're talking too loud, but I can't hear you calling. This Sunday, I'll be calling the Philadelphia Union against Chicago Fire game on Rabble.tv. I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comment sections. If you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast and call one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Philadelphia against Chicago on Rabble.tv. The race to win the MLS Supporter Shield and to qualify for the playoffs is heating up, so what better way to enjoy Major League Soccer than by playing one of the most unique fantasy soccer games available with Euro Fantasy League. With EuroFantasyLeague.com, don't be confused by the name. You can play MLS games for free, picking your best MLS starting eleven and subs against like-minded MLS fans such as yourself. Plus, you play in the MLS draft game just like your favorite NFL draft games. As the name suggests, you can also play a different fantasy game by selecting from six of the major European leagues, including the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Liga, the Dutch Eredivisie, and the Portuguese Premier Liga. So imagine picking a team that can feature the likes of Ronaldo, Aguero, Pogba, Zlatan, Rooney, and Messi, as well as other world-class footballers, with your chance to win prizes, up to $5,000 for the winner of the season prize game. This is your opportunity to show your soccer expertise by playing against other fans from around the U.S. Set up your free fantasy soccer game today at EuroFantasyLeague.com. Again, head on over to EuroFantasyLeague.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. We are back on Soccer Morning. It is Thursday. It is a fine, fine day to talk to our friend Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now. You can also find him occasionally at the New York Times. Brian, how are you? 
Uh, very good, Jason. How you doing? I'm well. All right. So we've got like the Premier League is 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 uh, underway. Um, we've got the the rest of Europe is starting to 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 get going here. Um, action getting ready to start in in Germany, and uh, we've already actually got some games happening. Uh, I think in the Netherlands. So we're going to cover as much of this territory as possible with the uh, <laughs> with the Americans that are playing overseas. I will start with the big news, and I closed my news segment this morning with it. Tim Ream, probably on the move. There was a report that QPR had sealed the deal with Bolton, uh, $1.4 million or something in that area. But now we're getting word that Fulham is also still in the mix and, and could could uh, could uh, come in and uh, make a bit over the top of QPR. Uh, without knowing where he's going to end up, uh, Brian, is this, uh, is this a good thing for, for Tim Ream in the end? Uh, you know, I think Fulham's very lateral. I think QPR probably gives them a little bit more of a chance to get promoted back into the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, QPR is still, yes, Fulham is still not completely out of it, although I've been told it's um, it's a little, it's unlikely. It's, it's almost certainly going to be QPR. But, I mean, and I think that that's a good move. That's, uh, you know, it's, um, he's very familiar with the league. He's going to help QPR out. He's a known commodity in the championship. He can prove and he can play at that level. So there's, there's a zero risk factor for QPR to come in and, and get Tim Reed. I mean, they, they need a defender and, they, and they're going to get one of the best, better ones in the championship. So uh, I think it's going to be a very good move for all sides, and uh, it gives QPR a very good chance of getting promoted. If if this leads to uh, Tim Ream, by the way, twenty seven year old uh, Tim Ream at this point, if this leads to Tim Ream going back up and getting a shot in the Premier League, that's a good thing. There is a question for me about you know the general uh, the general situation at QPR and whether that the the lack of stability over recent years and some of their issues will affect him. But but look, they're they're obviously going to be one of the better teams in the championship. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no stability in the championship anywhere. I mean, it's one of the more unstable leagues, unpredictable leagues uh, you could find. I mean, you know, you never know when debt is going to hit a team, you know. But like I said, Fulham were relegated, and they lost their first six games in the championship the first year last year, the first year in the championship last year. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's going to help Tim, uh, and – and, and I'm talking, you know, for all the unpredictability and lack of stability in the championship, Tim Ream brings that. That's his biggest asset. I mean, yeah. he's a two-time defender of the year for for Bolton. He's proven that he can handle the championship. So he is Mr. Championship. It's, it's a very, it's a, it's a move geared towards stability and certainty for uh, QPR. All right, let's let's stick in that league. I mean, look, we we know that the the American presence in the Premier League has dropped off in recent years. A couple of goalkeepers, Jeff Cameron. Who seems to be doing his thing and and is uh, is is playing center back again? Um, DeAndre Yedlin. What? Okay, before we move back to the championship, what's a, what, what's the likely situation with DeAndre Yedlin? Is is a loan coming or is he going to end up just being a reserve player for Tottenham this year? Ah, uh, my guess is that a loan is going to be coming. Uh, nothing certain, nothing's finalized, uh, but I think that you know i don't i question how much he's going to be able to get out of tottenham's u21 team mm-hmm. he he's he's beyond that he's older than that so uh, or u23 team so it's i really think that a loan makes the most sense for all parties involved and and i think that deandre has enough leverage there as a, as a national team player some world cup experience i think he has enough leverage there to get it done um the world will have some suitors willing to take him that's my best bet right now all right, let's go back down to the championship. We've got uh, we've got a couple of interesting names down there. And look, we, the known quantities are Danny Williams, Jonathan Spector, still hanging around doing his thing at Birmingham City. Eric Lehigh still in that league, but I, but I think the the names that people are most interested in are Emerson Hyman at Fulham, Cody Cropper at MK Dons, who I know you have a piece on recently. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of other names. It, both of those guys. Um, what's the outlook for Hyman first? Well, Hyman, I think, is a is a player who might want to move on. I think he has higher ambitions. And right now, Fulham is a team. Uh, you want to talk about lack of direction, you know, in a, an instability. I think that Fulham really has some question marks there. And you know, I, I think that you, the championship is he's an easy leg. is an easy league to get stuck in, mired in, and just you know, you stay there for years and years and years unless you, you know, assert yourself and make something happen. And he's in the last year of his contract. He's the captain of the USU 20 World Cup team that did well. And he has some, he, and he's earned 
very good reviews for his play last year for Fulham's first team. So I think that there, he makes himself attractive for some options. And, you know, when thinking about your long-term future, I think uh, a lot of guys are always going to be looking to get out of the championship if they can, uh, especially if they're not on a team that's uh, favored to get out of the championship uh, anytime soon. So, you know, I think um, it wouldn't surprise me if a, if a move happens sooner than later. For is, is the, I have actually seen a little bit of speculation around him. Is there any is there any team specifically identified? We're talking about moving out of out of England. I, I don't imagine a Premier League team's coming in for him. No, I don't think a Premier League team is. But it wouldn't surprise me if I mean there's some I've seen Stuttgart's name thrown around there too, and. But it also wouldn't surprise me if perhaps he goes to some place like Holland. Now, he has the European passport. He has a Portuguese passport. So he doesn't have to deal with the usual rules and regulations that uh, make it almost impossible for many other Americans without those options to do, to make those moves. I mean, the move killed Juan Agadello's career in Europe, but it was without having a EU passport. You know, he has that. So he's going to have some options potentially in Spain, but you know, it's going to come down to where can he get paid and where can he get playing time? Um, sometimes it's hard tough to find both these days. I mean, you can, you can look around Spain sometimes and, and, uh, paychecks aren't always, uh, come to you on time. So, uh, I think with Portugal. So you have to, you have to look at a lot of different options, but I think he's going to have those options right now, given his age and his status and, um, and the reviews he's earned for his play so far. Uh, to colonialism benefiting Emerson Hyman with that Portuguese pass. Sorry, that was. Yeah, just, I, I just think about as far of a stretch as you can get. Yeah, I was, just, yeah, I was just thinking too. I'm like sitting there going Portuguese. Oh, Macau is, was a Portuguese. Okay, I get it now. All right, so yeah. let's go to Cody Cropper, who's playing at franchise uh, FC and uh, MK Dons, the the team everybody loves to hate in England, but still a a quality team in the championship. Brand new fancy stadium. The last couple of years, and obviously getting an opportunity to play. Um, uh, or, or work his way into a chance to play. What's the situation with Cody Cropper? Well, he's the number two behind David Martin, and David Martin's been at MK Dons for a while now, a couple stints on loan, but I think he's made over 200 appearances for the team. I mean, the thing that Cody has going for his favor is that David Martin has missed time. Uh, he's never really played a complete season injury-free. So as a, as a certain number two, he's, He's going to get minutes, um, either League Cup, FA Cup, and perhaps League, you know, depending on what happens with David Martin. So this is what exactly what Cody Cropper needs. He's 22 years old now. He's not, not younger for a goalkeeper than it is for other positions, but it's still, uh, you know, a time when he's going to need to step into his own. And, you know, MK Dons is, is, is an interesting team because they have a very small budget by championship standards. Uh, so there are a lot of, um, people have them pegged as potential relegation battlers. And uh, so they're going to be under fire. The goalkeepers are going to be under stress. So it's going to be a real test for Cody. And, you know, at this point, he's his, his career. He needs that. He needs to get, you know, he needs to face shots. He needs to step up, stop them regularly and, and, and limit the gaff that he's had a couple times, too, uh, playing for U.S. youth national teams. Uh, he's a good, talented keeper, but it's, I think it's a, playing time is only going to help um, limit his mistakes and errors. And, and perhaps maybe help him realize his potential. I think he's in a good spot right now to uh, at least get some opportunities to show what he can do. Um, so okay, so if we uh, we got, put a wrap uh, on the championship talk here, is there anybody else uh, that American fans should be keeping an eye on? I mean, there's a couple other names here, a couple of dual internationals still lurking around in the championship who have yet to really feature heavily for any American teams that I'm aware of. But is, are there, is there anybody else worth watching? Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's that's the real base. You know, you covered all the bases. I mean, a lot of the guys who are at like like the younger levels right now are still a ways off right now. I think we the, all the people in the championship that are relevant are known commodities. And I'm really looking at Danny Williams to see if he can, you know, really help Reading become the the team that they want to be and 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 be out of the championship back into the Premier League. And he's a big part of that. But last season was very disappointing. It's a question of whether or not they can turn it around now. All right, let's go to Germany uh, and talk about the Bundesliga. Obviously, there's a heavy American presence there, both through the German-American players, now through uh, Aaron Johansson. He moves on from uh, Azed Alkmaar to Werder Bremen. Let's let's talk about that move. Uh, I think everybody's pretty much universally agreeing that this is the right step for him, that this is um, uh, the, the natural move from the Netherlands to Germany, Brian. Uh, he's going to get an opportunity to play, and, and Werner Bremen is, is is one of those clubs with with aspirations, but not the the pressure won't be so immense that that Aaron Johansson will wilt underneath it. 
Well, what I like about the move is that he's needed. It's he's not just seen as like a, a luxury commodity who might see some minutes here and there. They need him. They they lost the forward, uh, Franco DeSanto, and they need a replacement. I mean, and they lost, but they lost the two, two top leading scorers, which are twenty two. Which was, I think it was over around twenty one, twenty two goals last year were gone, and Aaron's going to have to help fill that void and. So he's going to get his chances. It's out of necessity. And I also like it, too, is because uh, they have a stable coach, a guy who's played with them, and then once he retired, moved into their coaching youth system, and now he's the first-team head coach. So there's stability. It's not one of these guys who moves to a club, the coach likes him, and then the coach is fired, and he's on the bench. I mean, we've seen that a lot of times with Americans making moves to uh, various clubs throughout Europe. He's at a club with stability and a club that needs them and a club that likes to play attacking soccer, too. They had, they were sixth in the Bundesliga last year in goal scoring with 50 goals. So I think it's um, uh, there's a lot of things going for it and a lot of reasons why uh, people should really like this move. All right, again, the the German-American presence is is heavy. We've got to guys so uh, we know about Fabio Johnson. We know about, uh, we know about John Brooks. We know about Timmy Chandler. Uh, I think everybody's a little down on Timmy at this point, and it doesn't look like he's um, going into the season with a full head of steam, considering the comments of his coach, uh, Brian. Yeah, his coach was uh, was critical about um, him playing for the U.S. national team at the Gold Cup, and and, and he said some some pretty uh, you know harsh comments, you know, sick comments. He was saying uh, it's up to Timmy whether what he how he wants to move forward with this and. It's up to him. He does it playing for the U. Him playing for the U.S. national team does nothing for me or Eintracht, and it's up to him to decide what he wants to do. Uh, I mean, it was, yeah, you know, it, it's pretty much telling him not to play without specifically coming out and saying that. And uh, Chandler said, you know, he's going to continue to accept Yerd and Klinsmann's call-ups should they still come, which I think a lot of American fans would they like to think that that's a <laughs> that, that's a, that's not a certain thing anymore. But. um yeah, I think it's uh, he's got to get back into the starting lineup. He missed a large chunk of preseason. But, you know, I think if you look back at uh, how last season went, you know, he started off on the bench but gradually got back into the into the uh, first team. And he has almost 130 Bundesliga appearances. He's a known commodity in that league. He knows Everyone knows what he can do. Coaches know what he can do. And they know what level he's at. So I think um, uh, that level is, you know, proven to be acceptable for in the Bundesliga. So I think he's going to gradually work his way back into the starting lineup. It'd be tough to think like a Gold Cup can kill a guy who's who's proven himself in that league. Okay, let's go to John Brooks, also a, a Gold Cup uh, a player who featured in the Gold Cup at Hertha Berlin, 22 years old, obviously a favorite of Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, just kind of dipping my toes into the into the situation whenever it seemed appropriate, he's been a little up and down. I mean, that, that's natural for a young player. Is this the year that, that John Brooks shows some consistency at Hertha, or are we going to see another sort of up and down? One week he's he's a star of the league, the next week he's making uh, a bunch of gaffes that lead to goals. It's a question about maturity for him. I think the, the gaffes will, will, you know, on the field are going to, resolve themselves so long as he, you know, grows up. I mean, we've seen his maturity called into question by his coaches. I mean, he had the famous, infamous uh, back tattoo incident yeah. where he got the large <laughs> back tattoo, was too sore to play in a Bundesliga game, and then he was benched for a while because of it, and rightfully so. And I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that on the field is always paired with someone a little older, a little bit more experienced, and he's usually the more silent guy and, and um, less vocal. And then when he goes to the national team, you pair him with Vantor Alvarado, and all of a sudden he's supposed to be that mature guy in the back line, and, and it's just a completely different role for him. So I think you know it's going to be he's now he's going to be in his uh, like third third fourth year now as a, as a professional, whether in the two Bundesliga or Bundesliga with the same club. He should be very familiar. He should with the system, the team, and the responsibilities of this. So. The question is, is he can become more vocal, more dominant, more of a leader in that back line as opposed to being more passive and just kind of going where, wherever the leaders on the back line take him. And I think that if he takes that leadership role, a lot of the gaps, I think, and are going to be, uh, resolve themselves through just, just, uh, just growing up and becoming more mature. All right. A couple of youngsters I want to focus on here briefly. Uh, first up, Julian Green, uh, we know that he reportedly decided to stay with Bayern Munich this season rather than go out on loan. I think all of us believe that that to be a bit of a mistake. Now, clearly, look, loan situations have a lot of 
problems inherent in them, Brian. You, you know, as you said, with with coaches, sometimes coaches change their mind or they get they, they get replaced midseason. If you have a player on loan that you didn't opt for the first place, they that play that player then gets relegated to the bench. What's right. what's what's best for Julian Green and and what do you expect from him this season? Because he has taken a, a complete nosedive in his development. Well, of course. Uh, I, I mean, I expect if he stays at Byron U23, he's going to have to dominate. I mean, again, but he's already done that. So he's doing what he did two years ago. And that's where's the challenge? Where's the step up? Where's the progression? It's just not there. Um, look, I understand that, that, that the loan didn't work out. And, you know, and lo- you're right. Loans are tricky for pretty much for, for young players, pretty much because. Uh, the, 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 the team you're loaning them to has no vested interest in the player's development. They, they don't care whether or not he goes up to the, I mean, it's gotta, if he goes on loan, it's gotta be a loan to sale, um, kind of an agreement where the team could buy him if they like what they see. Because look, let's face it, I mean, the, the ability and the likelihood of Julian Green, uh, to become a key, uh, contributor for Bayern Munich's first team is, is small. I mean, and then, and you can still be a great player without being good enough to play for Bayern Munich. Oh, absolutely. Team. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you got to at some point realize that, you know, if maybe way down the line, if it becomes that great player that he dreams of becoming, yeah, Bayern Munich will want him back at some point. But he's got to think of going to a place, not just on loan, but with the potential to call it home and, and stepping out and, uh, dominating and, and, and but staying at Bayern Munich's U23 team is is not is a, is a regression. He's going to lose two two now two straight seasons uh, in key developmental years, and he'll never get those back again. And it could really and right now, and by way of American prospects domestically or in other European leagues, you could see him uh, surpassed uh, on the U23 depth chart, not just the full national team depth chart. So it's a it's a it's a very disappointing. And but that those comments that he's staying at Bayern Munich's U23 team just came from his agent. Uh, they didn't come from the club. So uh, you know maybe take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Maybe that's just posturing and negotiation negotiating. Um, so you know it wouldn't surprise me if a loan happened. But you know it's something that it, that it really has to happen at the worst case scenario in January. Uh, let's talk about Joe Zhao. Uh, injured at the end of last year. Uh, if I remember, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but I know it was a, it was a, it was a setback for a player who had made this, this move to Dortmund. And, and we, at the time, I think Brian, at least some of us didn't know exactly how this was going to work out. Dortmund was one of those clubs that was challenging for, for, uh, Bundesliga titles and, uh, clearly had a lot of talent at their disposal. He actually did make some inroads there. Then he got hurt. I I hear he's back and that the uh, the injury wasn't overly serious, which I I don't think I was aware of until the new season was getting underway. What's the prospects for Joe Jow this season? Again, it's going to be tough. He missed a lot of time, and he also was making inroads to uh, Dortmund at a time when uh, Klopp needed to shake things up. I mean, they they were they had a really terrible start to the last season, and uh, they were looking to send some warning signals against for a bunch of players that were. Underachieving. Uh, Joe's is a good player, but still he's a very inexperienced player. I mean, it's, it's a guy who, you know, his first loan to St. Pauli, um, just didn't really work out that well. So, you know, they had an option to extend his loan and, and St. Pauli declined. Then he goes back to Dortmund and, uh, you know, and see some first team minutes there in a time of turmoil. I think from a U.S. national team perspective, it's great because he plays a position of need. But as, po- as to how close he was to becoming a, a full team regular there, uh, within Dortmund, you know, supposing the, those first team players who were underperforming got their act together remains to be seen. I mean, it's one of those things where he's at such a club that's so big, so, so many, um, so much talent at their disposal and so many resources to acquire new talent that when you leave a club for six months, whether it be for injury or anything, it's very tough to get that back. The club, the club's moving quickly to, to replace you. I mean, unless you're like a guy who's like Aaron Robin or something, you know, it's the Robin. It's, 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 um, you know, players can, can be left in the dust quickly. So it's a good question. Uh, um, nothing's really set, but, uh, let's hope that the injury's not as serious and that he didn't lose a step because speed is everything for him. All right. That's another 22 year old player, uh, Jerome Kiesewetter at, uh, at Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. Um, he made his debut at the top division last year, but of course, at, at 
you know, and, and 22 is about when you need to start doing that. But he's also a guy who was on loan as recently as, as 2014, uh, into 2014. So what's next for Kistavetter? I mean, he's got to get out of Stuttgart 223 team. He began the season there and, and he started, he was playing for the club in preseason, uh, the first team. He got the first team contract. And again, like Joe, he was a player who made his first team debut, although it's very good in the Bundesliga, but he made a team when, they, when Stuttgart was in the relegation zone, under, underachieving talent. And the coach says, all right, you guys aren't playing, uh, hard or playing the way I want you to play. I'm going to bring in some younger guys that are going to push you a little bit and try to challenge you. And he did that. They brought in Keith Sweater was one of those guys. Then all, he, he didn't really stick around, unfortunately. Uh, the coach reverted back to the, uh, to the veteran players and they stepped up and avoided relegation. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's not really question. It's, it's a little bit in debate whether or not he was really settled in the first team or whether or not he was just kind of like a tool to, to, uh, to motivate people to the, that were underachieving. But, you know, he's, he's got to really step up now. Now this is going to be a key season. If he doesn't, um, uh, really make any real inroads into Stuttgart's first team. I think he has to start looking at uh, other teams, maybe uh, two Bundesliga or out of Germany. I mean, this is a real transitional year for him. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, he's, um, you know, you probably get maybe get some looks also with the USU 23 team in Olympic qualifying. I know that they, they liked what they saw from him in Toulon. But, uh, you know, those loans um, that he went on, he went back to Hertha. I think that was a little bit of homesickness. I don't think he was comfortable uh, stepping outside of Hertha just yet. It was a very much a, uh, when I spoke to him, uh, a guy who enjoyed living at home and, and stepping away from Berlin was uh, was was challenging for him. He went back and then he came back and he came back to Stuttgart and uh, and looked better. So I think that that loan worked for maturity purposes more than anything else. All right, let's go back. Let's go down to the two Bundesliga. Uh, talk a couple, about a couple of names there quickly. Um, guys that, that Americans will be watching, obviously Bobby Wood stands out because of what he did on that European trip for the United States national team. He's at Union Berlin. Good move for him. I mean, I know he's played a cup match. It's hard to know exactly what the season will bring yet. Yeah, I think it's a good move for him. I mean, they really like him. He's going to get some playing time. And uh, it was such a bitter end to his time at uh, 1860 uh, that, uh, yeah, I think it's um, he's gonna, anytime you're going to get playing time and uh, he's going to be asked to score a lot, so hopefully he's given a set position. He's not going to move out to the wing. He's going to stay in his forward position, and they're going to they're going to be very patient with him, and he's going to polish up his skills. And I think for the first time in a while, people are going to see what Bobby Wood's all about. Um, you know, even more than the national team, those are a couple of brief appearances that he did well. But how is he going to do week in week out when he's playing close to ninety minutes a game? That's going to be a completely different story. And uh, I think people are. With all the injuries and the, and the falling out he had in 1860, it's been years uh, since uh, Bobby Wood has really had a clean slate um, and, a, and, a, and a paved road, really, to show what he can do. So this is going to be a real test for him, um, and uh, it's going to be who knows how it's going to turn out. But uh, you know, they like what they like what they see from him so far. All right, let me let me do this this way since we are running short on time, and I have at least one or two other players and leagues I want to touch on. Out of uh, Terrence Boyd, Andrew Wooten, and uh, uh, let's, I guess just those two. Who has the better season? Andrew Wooten's 25 at Sandhausen, and Terrence Boyd obviously coming back from uh, or, or having moved on from Australia, uh, Austria into Germany with our, uh, Red Bull Leipzig. A lot of expect, expectations for national teamers that he figures out how to get back to his old form. I still say Wooten because it's just, he's not dealing with any injuries. He's, his role on the team is set. And he's a proven goal scorer in the two Bundesliga. Um, and he's off to a hot start right now. So Terrence Boyd, there's a little bit of question marks right there, um, in terms of, you know, he's, he's the injury and, uh, whether or not he's going to be able to crack back into, uh, Leipzig's, um, lineup. I mean, they're a high spending two Bundesliga team. So, uh, there's a lot, there's too many questions right now to, about Terrence Boyd to say he has, he has better prospects than Andrew Wooten at the moment. Okay. Fair enough. Let's do, let's move to, uh, the Netherlands because there are a couple of players just, Two that I'm aware of. If there's more, you can let me know. Maybe there's some coming through the youth ranks, but certainly senior team guys, very young players. I believe both these guys are 19. Rubio Rubin at Utrecht. Obviously, American national team fans know him a little bit. And DeSavio Payne, who's a dual international and got some time with the U20s. Let's start with Rubin. Look, a lot of expectations. He's shown some good things with the, with the full senior squad. Obviously, he's played with the youth teams as well. What's, what's 2015, 16 like for Rubio Rubin? Well, he's going to, I mean, there's always potential he could play with the Olympic team. Uh, but I think that he's not going to be released for that. 
I think it's, it's going to be a time where he's going to have to fight for some minutes and prove he belongs. I mean, he got 2,000 minutes in, as an 18-year-old last year, and that's very, very good in, for the Eredivisie. But now it's the time to uh, he's going to, to try to take a step up, score more than three goals. Uh, now he's going to have to – the competition's a little more tight for him to earn some minutes. So if he can do that, he's going to have to step in and perform. Hopefully the competition and the pressure – Brings out the best in him, but I still think he's got a great future. I mean, what you know, this is all natural for a 19-year-old to have to face some kind of adversity, and um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. He's still a young player, but like I said, 2,000 minutes at, uh, in, in his first professional year as an 18-year-old, very, very good, and uh, he had a pretty good preseason to boot. So I think he's going to definitely see his uh, earn his earn his time, but it's a question of what he does with it, and I like his chances. I think he's going to polish out his game. He's a smart player. All right, fair enough. Uh, elsewhere in in Europe, uh, players that you're that you're keeping an eye on, anybody that uh, that U.S. national team fans or or youth squad fans should be uh, should be looking towards. Well, you mentioned him right there to stay in the Netherlands. Zebio Payne, I think, is going to be very good. Uh, unfortunately, he picked up a he picked up an ankle injury and he's out a month. Um, starting in the beginning of August, and I think he was trying really hard to get back into the uh, U.S to go move up to the USU 23 team for their upcoming camp in London. It's a question of whether or not he's going to get healthy at that, healthy by that time. But, uh, he, he really, he loved his time with the USU 20. He was very good at the World Cup. And, uh, um, looking forward to seeing if he can, uh, make that quick transition. And, of course, you know, other players too. You guys look at Cameron Carter Vickers, mm-hmm. who is, uh, who's in, um, you know, has been training with Spurs first team. And he's, it's going to be very tough for him to push for any kind of first team minute at Spurs. But uh, it's a question maybe alone or maybe, um, you know, they let him play a lot with the USU 23 team. But he's obviously a very highly rated prospect um, in central defense. So, yeah, there's there, there, there's plenty of names to go around. And Andrea Novakovic, too, at Reading. Um, you know, another guy who is not released for the USU 20 team, but uh, he's a forward. And Reading have first-team plans from this year. So there's, a, there's, there's still... Um, uh, the future is bright over there. Uh, it's a question now of them taking the next step into earning first team minutes and going beyond just being those those youth guys with just potential, and now starting to realize that. Brian Shiretta from American Soccer now and the New York Times. Obviously, we're looking ahead to the European seasons opening up all across the continent. We didn't touch on Scandinavia. They're all they're all deep into their campaigns. Maybe we'll have a different discussion about some of the guys who are playing their soccer there. Brian, appreciate the time as always. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate it. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll go to the phone lines, talk to you about any of that. U.S. Open Cup, Olympic qualifying for men, women, everybody. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Sunday, I'll be calling the Philadelphia Union against Chicago Fire game on Rabble.tv. I'd like to invite you to hear my thoughts and analysis live during the game at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comment sections. If you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast and call one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Philadelphia against Chicago on Rabble.tv. The race to win the MLS Supporter Shield and to qualify for the playoffs is heating up, so what better way to enjoy Major League Soccer than by playing one of the most unique fantasy soccer games available with Euro Fantasy League? With EuroFantasyLeague.com, don't be confused by the name. You can play MLS games for free, picking your best MLS starting 11 and subs against like-minded MLS fans such as yourself. Plus, you play in the MLS draft game just like your favorite NFL draft games. As the name suggests, you can also play a different fantasy game by selecting from six of the major European leagues, including the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Liga, the Dutch Eredivisie, and the Portuguese Premier Liga. So imagine picking a team that can feature the likes of Ronaldo, Aguero, Pogba, Slatan, Rooney, and Messi, as well as other world-class footballers with your chance to win prizes, up to $5,000 for the winner of the season prize game. This is your opportunity to show your soccer expertise by playing against other fans from around the U.S. Set up your free fantasy soccer game today at EuroFantasyLeague.com. Again, head on over to EuroFantasyLeague.com. 
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines now open 646-832-3909. We can talk about that U.S. Open Cup semifinal round last night. couple of good games. I suppose. I don't think the Union Fire game was much to look at for a while there. I checked in on that one. There was definitely some intensity and some good stuff happening in that sporting RSL match, however. Uh, clearly RSL bested by a better team, and it didn't matter that they used the weekend to rest some of their older, more important players ahead of that game. Now, that wasn't entirely about that game. We know that it was about just the, the number of matches in a short time span, uh, time, short time span for Jeff Kassar and company. And, you know, I'm seeing some, like, general disillusion with the way things are going out in Utah, that uh, people aren't happy with Jeff Kassar, that there's um, some real concern over the, the future direction of that club. And I, I wonder, I wonder how much we should get on RSL fans if they are upset at this point. I mean, they've been spoiled a bit. They've been in the playoffs every year. They've been contenders every year they have the league out the one mls cup but that's more that's one more than a lot of teams have in recent times at some point you kind of have to suck it up and just deal with a, a a dip in your your team's fortunes don't you i mean how much how how angry are we allowed to be when our team goes from contender to eh, mediocre over the span of a year or two i don't i i don't i i, I don't know I'm not sure, Trevor, I don't know what you're saying, and that has no context to it. But I'm guessing what you're saying is that fans are always like this, right? That this is, this is just how fans react to things. Yeah, I, I know. I, I just, I wonder. Maybe this is just the, 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 the way of the world. The dynamic is the fans of the team get upset, and then everybody else who is supporting a team that has, has had, has had it worse over the last couple of years gets to, gets to yell at them for being <laughs> completely spoiled about it, right? I guess that's just the thing. That's just the way it goes. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. And it's not even. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw stones at the the RSL fans. I'm not gonna really hate on the people who are calling them out for being, uh, for being completely entitled at this point. You're used to what you're used to, I guess. I mean, if if the New England Patriots won three games this year, I'm sure there would be lots of people who were calling for major changes and whatever. Talk to our friend Roberto in Connecticut. What's up, Roberto? Hey, Jason. Good morning. Uh, good morning, my friend. Um, I was just wondering. I was wondering if you saw the uh, list for the uh, UEFA Best Player in Europe, the final three. I saw. It was. Um, it's Messi, Neymar, and who else? Suarez. Oh, it's all. Wait, it's it's Messi, Neymar, and Suarez. I mean, Messi, Ronaldo, Suarez. Ronaldo. Okay, not Neymar. Ronaldo. That, I'm sorry. That's my fault. No. Messi, Ronaldo, and Suarez. So. Yeah, I I did see it. I didn't really take a whole lot of note of it because at this point, this is what Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo have done to awards. They've made them boring. They're boring. There's no debate anymore. Our debate now, instead of who's the best player, because it's either Ronaldo or Messi, and generally speaking, it's Messi, it's not even who's the second best player, it's who's the third best player. That's where we're at exactly. now with awards. It's, That's what most people are debating about. Yeah, and it sucks away all the fun. Like, you don't even get to argue about who should win the award. You argue instead about who should be the third place finisher or who's the third guy on the list. Is Suarez really the guy that should be on the list? I mean, who cares? Is it a third place? I mean, now, I guess, once they're done, and hopefully they are with the... um with having to argue about who's the first best player and who's the second best player. These other guys that are finishing fourth, fifth, like Hazard, Neymar, Suarez, Pogba, they can now have the debate to see who could be the best player in the world in the future. Yeah, I mean, we're still, I think we're still two or three years away from Lionel Messi taking a dip enough to be off these lists. And there's going to be like this residual echo. Like, Lionel Messi could score 25 goals in a season instead of 40 and still be on these lists because he's Lionel Messi. And that's not, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but these lists tend to be about, a much about, as much about profile and reputation as they are about actual production. So, we are still a ways away from, from Messi dropping off. Um, Ronaldo just hit 30. Uh, he may have one or two more years at, at peak level where he's scoring 
buckets and buckets of goals. Um, so he's not going anywhere for for a little while. Ha- Hazard is amazing. Pogba is a great player, but we're talking about five years before these guys start showing up on these lists. And by that point, I mean, how, how old is Eden Hazard right now? Uh, twenty. 23? 23. Sounds about right. So, 24. He's 24. Just turned 24 this year. 24. So, Eden Hazard is not going to be on the list and a favorite to win until he's 28 years old, which isn't bad. I mean, that's not terrible. That's peak level for a lot of guys, but it just, it goes to show you how dominant Messi and Ronaldo have been, how much they've shut everybody else out of these awards, and how ridiculous it is that we are talking about third place. I mean, it's it, that says a lot of things. It says one that Messi and Ronaldo are so amazing historically that we are we should absolutely be appreciative of living in these times, Roberto. We should be we should be amazed that we get to live in these times with these two amazing players. And then the other thing is that you know it's the awards are dumb and we don't it, they're, whatever. I mean, you know, what I mean, like the popularity contests yeah. they're they're based on a bunch of different. I mean, if people this is where we are. Not only are we debating third place, but we're arguing whether or not a player like Messi, not for this award maybe, but for other awards, should be should have points deducted because he doesn't win with Argentina. Are you serious? I mean, Ronaldo hasn't done anything for Portugal. I know. To- I, I know. Why does that not stick to Ronaldo as much as it sticks? Is because I know. Look, everybody assumes Argentina is a better team and has more talent than Portugal. And generally speaking, that's true. But it's not as though Portugal is a slouch, and yet Ronaldo doesn't win anything and people don't hate on him for it Messi fails to win a world cup or fails to win a copa america and he's you know he'll never be maradona it's it's ridiculous so why are we talking about ronaldo if, we, if you go a big back you know uh, like luis figo for example he's done everything at the club level but nothing to the national team level mm-hmm. i don't think anybody's doubting that luis figo is one of the you know best players of the last generation it's just very strange yeah, exactly. situation. All right, man. What else I'm you got? Just, no, I'm just wondering as well. It's like, okay, if you look at the the remaining, um, I think, 30, 35, look at the list and look at what you agree and don't agree. No Sergio Aguero in any of the 30. Oh, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Top 30. Right? Yeah. Uh, hold that's on. A, that's, uh, yeah, I don't have the list in front of me, Roberto. You have to give me a second. You're, you're, UEFA okay. Best Player in Europe Award. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, okay. we're talking about the, the, UA, the yeah, UEFA be Best Player in, in Europe Award. Okay. Uh, yeah. Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Suarez are the, uh, the, um, I have the top 10 here. I don't have the, the full 30. Uh, let's see. Uh, even the top 10 is a bit ridiculous, don't you think? Oh, wait a second. Uh, yeah, the top 10 is Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, Suarez. Those are the three finalists, so I don't have, Buffon is four. Is that what I'm getting here? Buffon? Yes. Buffon is four. Buffon, Neymar, Hazard, Pirlo, Vidal, Tevez, and Pogba. Yeah, that's not, that's I mean, not incorrect order. That shouldn't be incorrect order. That's, in the sense that, what, you think Buffon is the best goalkeeper in the world? No. Because of that? No. And you, you, look, you've got five Juventus players in the top ten. And nothing against Juventus. They made a, they made a Champions League final. But you're going to tell me that, that Pirlo, Vidal, Tevez, and Buffon all deserve to be on this top 10 best players of this, of the year? I don't know about that. I mean, you could, you could debate maybe about Pogba, Vidal, and Tevez, who's been brilliant as well. Yeah, sure. But not, sure. But no, but, but, but even Tevez, I mean, Tevez is a, <coughs> excuse me, a fantastic player. And he meant a lot to Juventus. But he was more of a, I mean, how do I say this? Tevez was in, was important to Juventus, but that doesn't mean he was one of the best players in Europe. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, Pogba, sure. Clinical. Yeah, put, well, okay, yeah, Tevez, Tevez clinical. Tevez scored goals when he needed to score goals. How many did he score last year? We're not talking about, I mean, you know. 30? I, I, would, I would imagine 30. I don't know. If he got, I don't know if he got to 30, did he? If he got to 30, then maybe I'm wrong about That's this. That's Trevor. Uh, goals, tw- 20. He scored 20 goals. Okay, 20 goals in the league. He scored seven goals. In continental competition, I don't know what other is. So I mean, look, let's give him twenty. Let's I think that's uh, that, that's um, Copa Italia. He, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's yeah, there's league, there's cup games here too. I don't. He didn't score. He didn't. He didn't score in the Copa Italia. Um, I, I, I guess. I mean, I guess twenty-seven goals is good enough. 
29 total in it's all right. No, it's good. I mean, Icardi was the top goal scorer in Serie A, but he's not top 30 in UEFA. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a weird list. It's 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 all it's a weird it's all it's a confusing weird list. and mindless in a way. It is. It is. And look, again, it's more about it's about recency about effect, it's about popularity, it's about who you, you know, where you play. Because you know, look again, Ed Nazard, great player, the only Premier League player on this list. And I'm not saying the Premier League is the best league in the world, bar none. There's not a single Bundesliga player on this list. You know, again, five Juventus play, five, not just one or two or three, not, not like, hey, Juventus got to a Champions League final. Let's, let's recognize Arturo Vidal or Paul Pogba, who are certainly great midfielders. Um, let's recognize, I mean, I, I mean, you could, I guess, I guess Pirlo, maybe, maybe. I mean, he was influential with, for them. So, okay, let's recognize Pirlo, but come on, Buffon, really? I mean, I, I love Gigi Buffon, but he is not, he's not number four. Uh, <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, Jason, if this happens to the Ballon d'Or later in January. The same list, the same rankings. Yeah, something. Well, I mean, again, it, yeah, something like that. Okay, I actually have the the full. All right, I have the full thirty-five now. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Aaron Robin, Manuel Neuer at twelve. <laughs> okay, Carlos Baca. Okay, that's fine. Iniesta, Morata, Mueller, De Bruyne, Abramovich, Bale. Really? <laughs> Geniac, Lewandowski. Well, I don't get Geniac. Well, I mean, look, Geniac was fine for Marseille, but I don't know about 19th best or whatever in the world or in the, in the, in the continent. Lewandowski, Rakitic, Boat, Jerome Boateng. Okay. Javi Hernandez, Jackson Martinez, Mascherano, Alexi Sanchez. Okay. Yeah. K- Chiellini. So another Juventus player. Firmino. Uh, okay. Uh, Nemanja Matic, uh, Milik, Odomendi, Ramos, Terstegen. Okay. And, and, and Ardo Tehran. Whatever. No Aguero. <laughs> no, no Sergio Aguero. Yeah, there's no Sergio Aguero. There's no, ah, man, I don't know. There's, I don't know. I don't know. It, it is what it is. <laughs> it is no, what it is. No Timmy, no Timmy Chandler. <laughs> no, okay, come on. Now I gotta kick you off the air. No, <laughs> Appreciate the call, Roberto. It's an interesting discussion. That's fine. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. There it goes. At 646-832-3909. Anybody else, Trevor, give me a name that's missing from that list. I mean, again, I don't, you can't expect a lot. You can't go into this best player in Europe list and think that you're going to get Anything approaching the actual best players in Europe, you're getting a lot. <laughs> Jabril Cisse, obviously. <laughs> yeah, those are. <laughs> there it is. Uh, there it is. Like, I, I got no problem with the top three. I mean, Suarez benefited a lot from playing with, with Barcelona, but he was incredibly good with Barcelona. We know that, that Ronaldo remains one of the best players in the world. You know, the, the, to get a gap between Messi and Ronaldo and everybody else is extremely wide. Then it becomes a, the argument over Messi and Ronaldo, and there doesn't need to be an argument. They're both great players. Messi's going to win this, of course. But again, Buffon, Pirlo, Vidal, Tevez, Pogba. I mean, Azard I got no problem with. Robin, Neuer. Okay, Neuer needs to be there. Neuer should probably be in the top ten. Carlos Baca, on, uh, Iniesta. I'm just, I, okay. Whatever, whatever works, guys. Whatever works. 646 832 3909. By the way, what would a top 35 best players in CONCACAF list look like? <laughs> Anybody? Like the first 11 of Club America? Uh, Michael Bradley? Uh, maybe Michael Bradley at this point? I'm trying to think of who else is in that list. <laughs> oh. Um, mm. I mean, it would have, uh, it would certainly have Robbie Keane on it. He's playing CONCACAF these days as a LA Galaxy. Man, if we get, can we, can we, can we figure that out? Best player, top, forget top 35. That's too much. Top 10 best players in CONCACAF. Where's that list? I don't mean like CONCACAF represent, like players who are overseas that play for CONCACAF nations internationally. I'm talking about the list being players who are currently with a club in CONCACAF. 
going to be a lot of Mexican, lots of Liga MX players with a couple of MLS players sprinkled in. I'm guessing. I don't know if there's anybody else that's going to get represented. It, it, maybe Eddie and Brooklyn could tell me if anybody down, playing down in Costa Rica deserves to be on that list. Top 10. Not top 35, but top 10. There might be a couple of players down there somewhere. But again, I'm not talking about like who's the, uh, uh, who's the best CONCACAF player in terms of nationality. I'm talking about who's the best CONCACAF player in terms of club. Jovinko's probably in top 10. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Avid. That's absolutely, or Avid. Sorry. What did I, I get it wrong every time. Yeah. 646-832-3909. Let's build that list on a Thursday. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about CONCACAF's list as opposed to, uh, to UEFA's. If you have any thoughts on the UEFA list, please, uh, please jump in. Um, we, uh, talked to Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now. I'm seeing a note here for something that I didn't get into. I missed. Uh, definitely have to come back around and talk to Brian about that. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian Sharetta. It's S-C-I-A-R-E-T-T-A. Obviously, hit us up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. I'm at DavisJSN. Producer Trevor, who's openly taking uh, submissions for a new logo for the best soccer show. You can be part of that uh, talk, part of that effort. At Hey Hayward, H-E-Y-H-A-Y. We're um, heading into a, a big weekend. And again, I mentioned the MLS match tonight. Sort of spaced on that this morning until getting ready to start the show. And uh, I remember that there was a game tonight, NYCFC and DC United. Yesterday we talked on the serious show, and I'll bring it up here, a little bit about the difference in philosophy between the two clubs, or at least the way that they're going about building their teams, et cetera, et cetera, because Stephen Goff of the Washington Post has a pretty, uh, pretty in-depth article on the perspective of DC United and its players on how NYCFC is building the club. Now, obviously, DC United doesn't have the budget of NYCFC. Its ownership is choosing not to put that money in. They're hemorrhaging cash because of their relationship with RFK Stadium. Clearly, that's, a, that's something holding DC United back. That you could you could argue that they are succeeding in spite of some of those factors. But you also have these comments. One of them from Chris Rolf, clearly a leading figure in the DC United team, not a guy, a guy who's not on a lot of money, a guy who uh, went to Europe for a little while but played in a second tier league in Denmark. He said that he did not respect the way NYCFC was building their club because they were foregoing a culture. They were choosing to forego a culture by spending money, $15 million total, on Lampard, Pirlo, and, and Villa. And I don't know that those things are mutually exclusive. And I think it's a little harsh for Chris Rolfe to say that. Now, is that sour grapes? Is that... Chris Rolfe sort of just bemoaning the fact that the club he plays for doesn't spend much money or doesn't have a lot of money, isn't splashing the cash on players like Pirlo and Lampard, or is he or is he accurately assessing the situation? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's right. I, I, that doesn't mean that that NYCFC isn't doing things incorrectly or isn't doing things outside of the norm or isn't somehow slowing the growth of any sort of team culture. I just think that the notion that spending money somehow precludes you from having a culture is the wrong way to look at it. And I did bring up this uh, this example, and Trevor reminds me of it. And, and, and look, to, Gro- to Goff's credit, he included it in the piece as well. The LA Galaxy have spent a lot of money over the past eight years. When they first signed David Beckham in 2007, all the way through, they've, they've spent big money on certain players. They've also built an incredible supporting cast who has helped that team win three titles out of four. They are, without a doubt, the flagship franchise in MLS, the A number one club. You follow, if you want to do things the quote-unquote right way and be successful in MLS, you do them the LA Galaxy way. And part of that program is spending a lot of money on certain players. And I think a visible there was visible evidence this past weekend when LA was 
playing Seattle, scoring goals, winning that game. Giovanni Dos Santos is making his debut. Clearly, he's making a lot of money as a, a young Mexican international of immense quality coming in to serve not only as a marketing engine for that club, but to help them win. In the stands, next to that chef guy, what's his name? Gordon Ramsay. Hanging out with his boy, Gordon Ramsay, was David Beckham, the original DP, the ODP. That usually stands for Olympic Development Program in soccer, but we're going to go with ODP, original DP. David Beckham sitting there with Gordon Ramsay, and you could tell this wasn't David Beckham killing some time. He wasn't there doing a, a an appearance. Maybe he was. Maybe he was there to talk to Galaxy uh, Brass about something. I mean, clearly he's got the whole Miami thing. But he was definitely there as a former member of the LA Galaxy and a current member of the LA Galaxy family. And there's definitely a culture there. And maybe, maybe David Beckham was a major part of building that culture. But regardless, it's still a culture. I think that team... That team has an identity. It's not just about throwing money at something and, and now, now look, give NYCFC some benefit of the doubt. They don't, they're not going to do that in one year. And that's another part of the, the, the Rolf quote that bothers me. And look, I, I, I'm not being, I don't want to be too harsh on Chris Rolf because I think it's natural to imagine that just throwing money at something isn't really putting in the investment and the effort. But I just don't think these things have to exist on different planes. Spend cash in MLS, build a culture. You can do both things. You can also be budget-minded the way RSL was and build a culture. They have a culture. RSL absolutely has a culture. And maybe DC United more falls in line with RSL, but it doesn't mean that LA and Seattle and Toronto and NYCFC can't build their culture. culture. Building a culture is more about the people in charge and the attitude and the community spirit and the togetherness and all that wacky kind of kind of mushy stuff we talk about with teams guys who i mean we talk about all the time jose Mourinho, certain players over in europe talk about they they love the club i love the club is what Mourinho says i love this club i love chelsea the club is in my heart etc 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 so what is it that makes the club? I, I, this, this is a, a very existential kind of question that I'm fascinated by. What makes the club? Is it the colors? I mean, that, that's nothing. Colors mean nothing. Is it, is it the colors? Is it, what, what is it? It's not the players. The players change all the time. It's not the coach. The coach changes all the time. You know what it is? It's the, it's that feeling around the team, right? And, it, and that's connected to the people that you have in places like, like um, I don't know. Give me an example of a job at a club that would be around for 30 years. Those are the people who make the club. Those are the people who give the club an identity and a feeling, right? I mean, the, 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 the grounds crew who, you know, are behind the scenes. Nobody really knows who they are, but the players go out there and they, you know, they, they know who those guys are. The guys that are, that the trainers and the guys that are doing, um, you know, doing all of the equipment stuff for a club. The, 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 I mean, there's a bunch of staff. I mean, the, the, the people in the, in the front office just doing paperwork. People you've never heard of. Those are the people who make the club and give it a culture. Cause without those people, it's just a name on a wall. It's just a, it's just a, a, a logo. That's all the club. Is. I mean, it's the same thing with a company and a culture. What does that stem from? It stems from the leadership and the people, the support staff and sort of the, the attitude these people have about making it a fun place to be, an enjoyable place to be, a place where it feels like you're part of a family. That's what a club, that's what the culture of a club is. DC United, does DC United have a culture? I mean, I'm sure the, I'm sure I could ask a player, they'd probably say yes, here's our culture, whatever. Pretty sure D, I'm pretty sure the LA Galaxy have a culture. NYCFC may not have a culture because they haven't been around long enough to have one yet. I think that's part of, you know, some of the issues that we kind of ignore when it comes to MLS. All right. Phone lines are gone. You guys aren't uh, interested on a Thursday. It's cool. Went on a little bit of a rant there. I think it's a fascinating subject. Again, 
When Didier Drogba resigns for Chelsea because he loves the club, what does that mean exactly? Who? Do, what does he love? The stadium? You could love the stadium. I suppose that's part of it. Uh, again, the the people that that he comes back and sees after being away for a couple of years, the the people behind the scenes. Um, certainly, certainly, it's not Jose Mourinho who could leave at the drop of the hat, and did leave at one point to come only to come back. I mean, you know, again, these are interesting subjects to consider all right thanks very much to brian sharetta today thanks to roberto for his call it's a fascinating discussion about the top 35 the uefa best player of the year award we're gonna roll go to backheel.com buy yourself a mug and a t-shirt there's a bunch of them there and what else do i need to tell people go to soccer morning on youtube and subscribe i got some stuff in the works if anybody out there let me do this real quick trevor if anybody out there has an incredibly interesting theory about conspiracy and soccer. Let me hear it. Hit me up at Davis JSN. I need to pick somebody. We're gonna we're gonna work out one of our our new efforts here. Soccer morning. Soccer morning on YouTube. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on Friday. See you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? I put my heart on every cursive